conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York. Hello and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. This is Herschel York, the Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and also pastor of the Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfurt. The Pastor Well Podcast is dedicated to helping those who serve the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in ministry. And we have someone today who is going to help us do that. Uh, someone that I have long wanted to interview on this podcast, one of my favorite authors and preachers, uh, Michael Reeves. I am so happy to welcome you. Welcome to Pastor Well. Oh, thank you, Hush. Always lovely to be with you. Well, uh, I tell you, when I became dean of the School of Theology here at Southern, you were scheduled to give, uh, I believe it was our Gaines Lecture. That's right, yeah. And uh, so I... I I wanted to get familiar with you for your visit, so I went out and I just got every book that you've written (laughs) and read through them and was just absolutely elated. I love your work. Uh, Let me just uh, tell people a little bit more about you. Uh, Michael is uh, the president of the Union School of Theology in Wales. He teaches in the areas of systematic and historical theology and also on preaching and spiritual formation. There's not much left, I think. That's pretty much the the whole curriculum. Uh, He's a local church minister, the director of the European Theologians Network. He speaks and preaches uh, really worldwide. He's been head of of theology for uh, UCCF and an associate minister at All Souls Church uh, in Langham Place, London. He's married to, is it Bethan? Bethan, well done. Bethan. Same name as Lloyd-Jones' wife. Uh, but really? many people can't pronounce that. Well, well done. Bethan. And together they have two daughters, Lucy and Mia. Now, the list of books you have written uh, is lengthy, but uh, many of them are really bear us mentioning. My favorite is Delighting in the Trinity. Uh, I just think that every Christian needs to read that book. <clears throat> uh, I sense that we're not... Trinitarian enough in the way we think. And you wrote that book to help us know not merely the fact of the Trinity, but the way that all three persons of the Godhead uh, are at work in the Christian life. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, absolutely. The, the gospel is not simply a message about how we can get into heaven. It's about bringing us to a knowledge of God. And you don't know God, therefore you don't enjoy eternal life if you don't know God as Father, Son, and Spirit. And the fact that God is Father, Son, and Spirit is so often dismissed by Christians as overly complex, irrelevant. And they miss the fact that you start with the Jesus of the Bible and he takes you to a triune God. He's introduced John 20, 31 as John writes... He's written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's a Trinitarian statement. Yes. That he is the Son of God. He is the one anointed, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, anointed with the Spirit. It's a Trinitarian statement. And when you are led from a knowledge of Jesus to know his Father, filled with his Spirit... That's where healthy Christian living, joyful Christian living is at. All healthy Christian prayer is a 
thoroughly Trinitarian thing. When you can pray our Father in Jesus' name as the Spirit enables you, then you've really got what it is to be a Christian. Yes. I, just on the way in this morning, was listening to a sermon of yours uh, that you had preached about uh, really the Trinity and how the Trinity helps us in our Christian life and enjoying him. Uh, by the way, you've, there's a lot of good stuff out there that anyone could uh, Google or look up on YouTube and, and hear your preaching and teaching. Uh, how does how, how is the Trinity involved in helping the Christian, on the one hand, avoid pride, and on the other hand, avoid being defeated, feeling overwhelmed by the task that we face? Mm. Well, you don't really understand the glory of God if you don't know the Trinity. When you see who God is, that God the Father's very identity is in relating to, loving, begetting his Son. You see something about the nature of the glory of God, that God's very being is overflowing, self-giving. He's so more than self-sufficient, super-sufficient. And that enables me to see a being who is infinitely more glorious than me, who takes my eyes off myself, who lifts me up to see a being who therefore eclipses my pride and who also then removes my despair because I see that the whole mission of the church, the whole life of generosity and love starts with him. And as I enter into his life, as I tell my friends about Jesus, as I am kind and loving and generous or seek to be to others, I'm simply entering into his life. And therefore, the buck doesn't stop with me. Everything starts with him. Lest we think that this is in some theological category only, the reality is that this affects the way we live in our homes, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, Tell me about your marriage. Uh, Tell me about Beth and and how long you've been married and your relationship with her. Yeah. Uh, I have been given by God, I think, the most wonderful wife in the world. She is um, a very mature lady, an enormously encouraging and wise lady. And uh, we met, um, we were both on the staff of the same church in London. Um, that's how we met. And uh, we, um, we didn't talk to each other for about a year or so. Um, I thought she was married. Um, <laughs> and she, her dad had been a preacher And she was just wary of everyone gathering around the preacher. And she thought, I don't want to be that person. So I'm not going to just hang out around him. So we didn't talk to each other. And and then I remember I preached on Exodus 16 at a church weekend away. And she came up and disagreed with me. And she said, you've just got that all wrong. And I was so excited by that because I thought, "Here's, here's a woman who really cares about the text. And she cares about the eternal fate and of these is confident, confident enough and she, to and, disagree. And she was she was willing to take me on. And I thought, right, I, absolutely. And, and so um, we we got to know each other and quickly, very quickly, fell in love with each other. And and we found that um, it was it was studies in Song of Songs and the great theme of Christ the Bridegroom and His Church the Bride that were 
as we were studying them together, looking at them a lot together, looking at great works on them like Richard Sibbs, um, Richard Sibbs sermons um, on Song of Songs, that we were enormously helped and given a healthy foundation in marriage to see just how does the ultimate bridegroom treat his bride with an unconditional, before he's loved back, love. And he woos her to love him back. And to see that beautiful model of marriage set things up for us such that we have been blessed with a a, a fight-free, very, very healthy marriage. Okay, now, you you just uh, intrigued me. Mm -hmm. Fight-free. Yeah, fight-free. Oh my, that's yeah. not that's not what I have. Mm. <laughs> I know it, it is it is very unusual. Yeah, uh, uh, and I'm not saying every marriage will be like that. That's right. Uh, that's that's exactly right. And some of that is a function even of personalities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tanya and I say we're we're both incredibly passionate, mm. and that means uh, I think we have higher highs than most people experience, mm. and we have lower lows. Right. Uh, both of us like being right. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, the, mm-hmm. there's a push and pull about being right. But it, it is. It's a sanctifying work. Uh, but you, you, the two of you don't fight. No, we don't. We, um, you disagree? Uh, oh, oh, definitely disagreed. We, we have very, very different personalities and very different cultural backgrounds. Um, Wales and England are quite different places, by the way. Uh, she's Welsh. I'm English. And uh, so... Different cultures, different personalities coming together. But I think um, from very early on, um, as we talked about any time we disagree, we said, look, we need to know at any time we disagree, I'm on your side. I'm with you. I'm not against you. So if any time I think you could do something better, we're going to talk about it. But it's not a fight here. No, that's right. This you do is that well. we we want to bless and encourage each other, and we're always bringing each other back to that. So any time we're starting to feel maybe slightly offended by something, uh, then it's a remember I'm on your side. Uh, I'm here only to help and bless. Uh, we're, we're not going to turn this into being on opposite sides. Well, that's that's beautiful uh, and encouraging and instructive. Uh, I I need to be more like that and you have two daughters yes uh how old are they uh lucy is 12 and mia is 10 12 going on uh, yeah, absolutely yeah. is she there yet yeah. i mean she she's in the adolescence so. yeah she, she's at a fascinating stage where she's still she's still daddy's girl uh, she's still a girl yeah but also I can see the young lady in her as well, which is lovely. I love to yeah, see right. both and to be able to relate to her as both. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, beautiful age. Uh, how do they feel about dad's preaching? Do they, do they like to listen to you preach? Um, they don't get to hear me as often as they'd like because um, in our church we have kids groups and they're uh-huh. usually out when I'm preaching. Um, so they like to when they can and they're very supportive and kind and encouraging. Um, I don't think I've ever heard them criticize, I don't think. Right. Whereas I've heard very helpful, constructive criticism from my wife. You know, it, yes. Uh, I have two sons that are now 34 and 36, and mm. the same thing. They've, they're so gracious and encouraging. They rarely would 
I don't remember I've ever heard them criticize a, a sermon. They're always encouraging. And I'll tell you, you, you will not outgrow that. When your daughters are the age of my sons, you'll still delight to hear them uh, encourage you in your preaching. I, I love to see them out there when I do preach. Uh, what does your local church ministry and participation look like? Uh, well, I... I uh, I travel around quite a bit and I'm president of a seminary, which which means that I'm not able to be there absolutely every, every Sunday. Week, yeah. So I don't preach every Sunday, but pretty close to it. Really? Uh, you are really helping shape and form pastor theologians. Mm. Here at Southern Seminary, this is a model that we really believe in. It's mm. one that I hope to embody myself uh, as both dean and pastor. I'm, mm. I believe that, that pastors need more theology, not less. Absolutely. And it, it is a false dichotomy to separate theology from the practical uh, arts in pastoring. Absolutely. That, uh, theology undergirds everything. Uh, so how, how are you using your position as a seminary president and also uh, the director of the European Theologians Network to shape and form pastor theologians? Mm. For me, that conviction grew in early Christian days where I had a crisis of faith, and it was theology that saved me. And it was being given assurance in Christ through understanding union with Christ, through understanding justification that removed from despair and gave me joy. And from then on, I always had a strong allergic reaction to any theological game playing. Now, I'm interested in theological rigor, but never game playing. Mm-hmm. And so I want to raise up pastors, church leaders, who are people of integrity, who aren't simply putting on a show and doing the business of gospel ministry, but themselves have a warm, enjoyed, sweet communion with God, who delight in him, who are therefore growing in Christ-likeness, who are real servants of the church, and are going to go out and bless the world, have his mission mindset. And I always say to my faculty particularly, but also my students, that we need to remember that as we're raising these future leaders of the church up, there are two curricula here at work in our seminary. There is the one you can just see online, here are the modules we teach, here are the courses we teach. You can see all that, but there's another curriculum, which is the implicit curriculum. And that is all the values that you pick up when we bump into each other in that, the corridor. That's right, man. Just that's the richness how I of hold myself around you, how I yes. treat you. And if young students hoping to be pastors pick up the idea that a senior professor or a president can get more arrogant, more self-involved, um, more perks simply by rising up the chain, they'll pick up that that's okay in a church ministry that's career right. too. Almost even that that's the goal. Absolutely. That, that like, oh, if I can get rise high enough to be arrogant. Absolutely. That that's a good thing. And, and so we can talk about these glorious doctrines of grace but actually undermine them all with a culture that doesn't embody those doctrines. And so I'm very keen to ensure that every part of our time spent with these young, soon-to-be pastors is formative 
for them, not simply educational, but also formative. Well, that's what I so deeply appreciated about you from the first time that I met you. In this role, being here at Southern Seminary, where we're able to bring in really the best writers and preachers and theologians, I frequently meet uh, people whose books I have read and enjoyed and find them really a disappointment. Uh, their, their personality does not match the tenor of their books or whatever, and sometimes they're dismissive of people and don't have time. One of the things that I noticed about you is your, your deep love of people, that your joy in Christ spills over into your enjoyment of people. And I, I really am grateful that you model that. And oh, thank you for do such a, Thank you. Well, you do a, a great job of that. And this is one reason why I want people to read your books and listen to your preaching, because you, you do. You exude that kind of a care for people, not only theological rigor, but also uh, the love of, of others. And that's just so key. Well, I, I think that uh, I would recommend to anyone who's thinking this kind of thing through, read, soak yourself in writers who do that. So a writer who's very formative for me is Richard Sibbs, who I mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, and uh, Puritan. And Everyone who talked about him talked about him in those terms. They talked about him as the heavenly Dr. Sibs. They talked about him as the most friendly, genial man. So he was a, he was a great brain, a great theologian. But it wasn't a disconnected, cerebral faith that he had at all. And people noticed that, and it carried through into his preaching. And those are the sort of men we should, we should marinate ourselves in. Absolutely. I strive to be the kind of pastor, professor, that when I walk in the room, people feel happier, lighter, that they want to be in my presence. Now, I don't always pull that off. Uh, Sometimes the the weight of just the stuff of life will sour me. And that's when your book, Delighting in the Trinity, is so helpful. Uh, I I learned to find my my joy in Christ and, and in what God is enabled me through his spirit and his work in my life. Uh, And that is, to me, the mark of true comprehension of theology, Mm. that it shapes us to be more like Jesus. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you encourage in a a great way. Um, Talk about the state of Christianity in Great Britain. We're here in the United States, we're facing challenges that I think in some ways you are have gone before us in these challenges. Mm. Talk to us about that. Yes, I think that the the state of the culture and the church is about 30 years or so worse than you, but it's heading this way. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid we're exporting our sins to you. And that means that uh, you can say average church congregation will be a 20th of the size of what you'd experience here. Uh, So churches are smaller. There's a much greater feeling of being beleaguered, of pastors being on their own. Mm -hmm. And that's something for pastors uh, here to watch for, that as the culture gets harder, pastors will feel more isolated. 
and they need to build friendships around themselves. That's right. Strong friendships to stop that highly dangerous isolation. And because of where I see the culture going and how that's impacting the church, what happens uh, among Christians is the danger of having an eyes down on the problem mentality of a defeatism that nothing can change there's right. a there's a pessimism in european in the european psyche unlike there is in the states though i think that american can do attitude maybe is the edges are coming off it a little bit as the culture shifts that's right and because of that i believe that both sides of the Atlantic do better when we cooperate with each other. And that's always been the case from when Whitfield and Edwards yes. were friends, that we are stronger when we, when we work together for the sake of the gospel. Well, it's a reminder that it, the kingdom is much bigger than us. God's rule and reign extends yes. to all the world. Mm. It's not the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not the United States of America. It's it's Christ rules over all. Yes, and he and he wins. So th- this is what undergirds an ultimate optimism in Christianity: is that we know Christ wins. In the meantime, he's promised us a cross. He's told us to take up a cross and follow him. Mm. This is why. Do you not find it stunning that we get surprised by the opposition of the world? Uh, I'm, I'm just seeing it now. That as our culture has shifted on things like the whole issues of gender and sexuality and marriage, and those who have been conservative evangelicals are are jumping ship, they're mm-hmm. going the way of the culture. Uh, and you know, if Jesus promised uh, us, "They hated me; they're going to hate you." Take up your cross daily and follow me. He didn't say take up your cushion. He takes mm-hmm. up take up your cross that anything short of crucifixion itself, uh, we're getting off easy. Yes. We should not be shocked and surprised. Absolutely right. Uh, so we need to get our expectations from Scripture, that's not right. from our cultural background. That's right. What advice do you give to the beleaguered pastor who says, man, this is hard, the world is turning on us, we're hated, we're not liked? What advice can you give him that would give him a sense of sufficiency uh, in Christ, in courage. I think you see so many of the New Testament letters, let alone Old Testament um, books, are written precisely into that sort of situation yes. of beleaguered believers who are struggling with false teaching, with opposition, uh, persecution. And the message of these books is different, but let's take one, take Revelation. The message is the lamb wins. Yes. And there is horrendous opposition, horrendous difficulty to go through for we follow after the forerunner. We follow in the footsteps of the firstborn. And so we go with him through the cross and we do that for the joy set before us, mm-hmm. knowing the lamb wins. Yes. He's bringing many sons to glory. Absolutely. Uh, what a comfort and encouragement. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about your preaching. Mm. So how do you prepare for preaching? What, what does your preparation look like? Well, I, I have a ministry where I do both preaching and teaching. 
and they are overlapping ideas. Do do you separate them? I I think it's important that pastors can parse them out. Um, Maybe I can explain the difference by saying, in my role as a seminary professor, I teach heresy, but I never preach heresy. And what I mean by that yeah, I, I, is I want my students to understand that could be a soundbite used against me. Yeah, it, it? It, but, but I want my I'll students give you to understand to it. I want them to understand Arianism, Pelagianism. Right. I want them to understand false gospels. And I want to understand they're not as straw men, but well. That's right. So that they hate them, so that they protect Christ's people from them. But if you don't explain them as well as their proponents would, then you're really not doing a service to your students. Absolutely right. And so I need to teach heresy as well as gospel, biblical theology, of course. But I never preach it because preaching adds something to teaching. And in preaching, I seek to do something that I don't seek to do in teaching. Teaching, I'm uh, conveying information with the best clarity I can. In preaching, I am heralding. I am heralding Christ in such a way that the truths that I'm preaching might not only shape your mind and your convictions, but also affect your heart, how you feel about things, what you desire, what you want. So I want who Christ is to affect you at a heart level so that your life changes. So one of my pet peeves when I preach somewhere will be someone introducing me saying, and now Michael Reeves is going to come and explain the text. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to do a bit more than that, actually. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it could sound like I'm about to do an English comprehension exercise. That's right. We've all understood that verse, that verse, that verse, right? We can now go home. That's not what I'm seeking to do. I want people to understand the text such that their minds are clearer but I want then for their hearts to change. And primarily, I want to see them come to love Christ and find a joy in him and love him, adore him more than they adore their sins. Yeah. So that they're weaned off their sins That's towards right. Christ. It's the antidote to both legalism and licentiousness. Right, absolutely. Yeah, loving Christ. Yes. Uh, I grew up uh, in a in a circle that was often legalistic. Uh, my father had something of a grace awakening when I was about twelve. He he just said, "I'm done with that. It didn't work," and uh, and he began to really teach me about loving Christ. It made all the difference in my my life, and I, I learned the significance of just a love relationship with Jesus. Mm. And that that really is what a pastor is attempting to do that was at the heart of the reformation that understanding yes because luther was taught that it's merely external performance and so preaching changed at the reformation when the reformers were seeing we're not simply trying to change the behavior of those we're preaching to we want their very hearts to change so that they do not simply behave better but actually love christ love the lord And therefore, their behavior changes. Yes, and this is uh, in your book, Discovering the Heart of the Reformation, which is a, a great explanation of the Reformation. Uh, you also wrote about about Spurgeon and the Christian mm. life. Mm. Uh, talk about that book. Um, I wrote that book um, having chatted to my wife. 
And uh, I said, Crosswave said, would you like to write this book on Spurgeon? What do you think? And she said, you're going to write that book because I think you should spend a lot more time with Spurgeon. So I've always spent quite a bit of time with Spurgeon. Um, I was given at a youngish age a beautiful uh, collection of his uh, first editions of all his sermons. Really? um, Which is a a wonderful thing to have in my study at home. And uh, so I've always enjoyed reading through his sermons uh, hugely. But my wife reckoned, if you just spend more time with him, she said, I think it'll make you a better preacher. And and for that reason, I thought, well, I hope this will benefit others. It'll certainly benefit me as I do it. And so I loved just spending a lot more time for a few years with Spurgeon and found a man so alive in Christ, alive in his joy, alive in his fight against depression, alive in his vigor to preach the gospel, that, uh, but it was also theologically rooted. It wasn't just a personality right. type. Right. He was a guy who was transformed by the gospel to become so vibrant. Yeah, he he really is a man in full. Yes, uh, and, exactly. And you get that when you read him, his transparency, uh, his humor. Uh, he, uh, mm. The things he says to his students are just so, first yes. of all, sometimes they're hard, yeah. but they're funny. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Spurgeon, and I would. Have you read all of his sermons? You think you've read them all? No, I no, I, I pretty much guarantee I've not read them all, but I have read maybe close to all. Wow, that's that's a Quite lot of a reading. Lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. His body work is absolutely it, it is big. amazing. Yeah. Well, I like to always end my time with a guest with what I call the twinkling of an eye round. Just a bunch of quick questions, <laughs> and just your. You you don't have to answer quickly if you don't want, but just sort of get your impression of things, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're a Brit. Do you do tea every day? I do drink tea every day. Yeah. Every day? Except not not in uh, not in the States because you can't get it. Uh, so yeah. I had coffee this morning. Yeah. Do you drink iced tea when you're here? No. No, yeah. I should do, shouldn't I? You've, have you ever had it? Um, I think, I, yeah, I have had it a few times, but I, it's just not on my radar to seek it's it out. It's different quickly. in the South, you know. It is. Sweet it's tea. Sweet, exactly. Sweet tea, we yeah, call it. Yeah. And it's a very, it's yeah. syrup. Yeah. You know, so when nice. I ask for tea here, people have no idea what I'm talking about. What's your favorite tea? Um, probably Earl Grey. Okay. Uh, your favorite football team? I have to make that rugby football. And really? make it England. It, see, I think people around the world, they think that the English are all like soccer. But in fact, we're a nation divided where some like soccer, some like rugby. And I'm yeah. a rugby man. Yeah, I'm an all-blacks guy. Are you? Yes. Oh, the I, enemy. <laughs> uh, and when it comes to football, I like Man City. Okay. Uh, okay. Follow, follow Man City. Uh, uh, how much time do you typically spend on a sermon in preparation? I'd probably say about a day. Um but that doesn't mean it'll all be done within right. that 24 hours because I, I often like to just mull on a text yeah. some time before, way out before I'm actually going to right. deliver it, then look, come back to it. Tinker with and, it even after. Yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite vacation spot? Oh, I've just come back from Switzerland, which was marvelous. I'd say Switzerland or Scotland. Favorite hobby? Um, I think walking with the dog in beautiful countryside. Uh, favorite secular author? I would probably change this day by day, but P.G. Woodhouse. 
and uh, favorite secular kind of music? Um, it would be classical. I had to pick. I'd ch- again change this day by day. I'd say Mozart off the top. Oh, okay. I'm a, I'm a Bach guy. Are you? Okay, yeah, I understand yeah, that. Very much so. That's slightly less secular then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It is slightly less secular, but uh, Bach, the, oh. or, the order of Bach, the, the well-tempered clavichord, it's the order you of Bach. You don't have is, to persuade me for yeah, a second. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a joy to have you. I want to thank Michael Reeves for being with us on the Pastor Well podcast. Thanks to all of you who tuned in. If you've not yet subscribed, make sure you do so on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. I'll look forward to seeing you again on Pastor Well.